Clap, it's good to be in God's house. Come on, really clap like you're grateful to be here today. Well, hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us today. Those joining us online, welcome. And to our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Show them some love, family. Let them know that we love them, we care about them. Well, hey, um, we're in this uh, series. I pray that it's blessed you um, and encouraged you, challenged you. Today, I've asked our very own, our senior associate pastor, Dr. John Mannion, um, president of True North College, to come and to encourage you. I never know what Doc's going to do, and I walk out today and I see chairs. Now I'm like, I'm nervous. I don't know what's going to happen, but um, I-, I want you to know how much of a blessing it is to have um, people that have different ministry giftings upon their life. And Dr. John has a gift of teaching um, upon his life. And uh, just so some of you uh, are, are aware, he is, has just released his newest book, Conversations on the Road to Emmaus, Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, you can get this on Amazon and whatnot. And for some of you, you already are aware of this, but he wrote this really tiny um, devotional um, right here. And he reduced it from 700 pages to 500. But what I love about this man is he is passionate about God's word. He's passionate about teaching people um, the truth found in God's word. And uh, will you uh, just, let's honor Dr. John this morning. Will you stand to your feet this morning? Some of you are like, I just sat down. I know you did. That's why I'm asking you to stand back up. Put your hands together. Welcome Dr. John to the stage. Come on. All right. Great. Good to see you all. Be seated. Thank you. Thank you so much. So we're in this series, We Need to Talk. And we do. We need to talk today. We need to talk specifically today about truth. We need to talk about truth. I mean, what is truth anyway? It's relative, right? Truth is relative. I mean, take a word like old. Old is old's relative. It's a relative word. I tell you what. I am really starting to get annoyed. I don't know if anybody's noticed. I hope not. But I am, I am actually very annoyed. You know why? This 1829 thing. It's really starting to annoy me. I mean, these people, these people, they, they act like there's like some kind of definition to this. You know, 1829. Like there's a definition. Old. They keep telling me I'm old. I'm like, I'm, t- I'm looking at the young bucks and I'm saying, dude, you don't understand, man. I am, look, I'm more legit than you are for going to this 1829 thing tonight. I mean, I was born in 1829, all right? What is truth? I mean, what is truth anyway? It's, isn't, it, isn't it whatever you say it is? That's kind of the whole vibe we get from the public square today, you know, the, the society. That's what truth is. Well, that has been the, the way things have been about un, understood about truth forever, since the garden. In fact, that was the problem with the Garden of Eden. That was the problem with the fall. It was the way people looked at the nature of truth. There was a trial. It was the trial of the ages. In this trial, there was a defendant named Jesus, and there was a prosecuting attorney. His name was Pontius Pilate. And Pilate was cross-examining Jesus. And in John chapter 18, verses 37 to 38, we read this. Pilate's speaking. He says, so so you are a king? And the defendant Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this reason, I have been born. And for this, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth Here's my voice. 
Pilate then asked him skeptically, what is truth? (laughs) Pilate isn't asking there what is true. He's actually asking what is the nature of truth. And he has implied within his skepticism the postmodern answer. Postmodernism says truth is whatever you want to say it is. And, And he has that implied in his answer, which goes all the way back to a thousand years before Pilate. Judges 21-25 says, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Pontius Pilate, the postmodern philosopher, would say that truth is whatever you say it is. It's not whatever the definer defines it as. Jesus, though, says this. He says, I am the truth. The definer defines it that way. So, We're going to talk about the nature of truth from a lot of different angles here this morning, but we're not going to simply talk about what is true. We're going to talk about the more fundamental issue that leads to that, and that is what is truth? What is the nature of truth? What does it look like? How does how you see what it looks like affect your life and the lives of those around you? There's a a game show. I think it's on ABC. It's on uh, Tuesday nights now. It's called To Tell the Truth. It's a game in which three people come out and they ask them questions about who they are and they try to use these questions to to determine who is the actual real person that they're looking for. So let's change the channel and uh, let's go over to ABC right now and see what is on today. Welcome to the Postmodern ABC Network Game Show, produced by Pontius Pilate, to tell the truth. Contestants, please take your seats. Welcome. (laughs) Contestant number one, please introduce yourself. Hi, good morning. My name is Pastor Kyle Shedeker, and I am the ministry pastor. Where is that? Here at True North Church. For how long? For eight years. Number two, please introduce yourself. Hi, good morning. I'm Pastor Kyle Shedeker, the ministry pastor here at church. Which church? False Southwood Baptist Church. (laughs) Number three, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm uh, Pastor Kyle Shedeker. I'm the ministry pastor here at True North Church for eight years. Well, let's ask some questions and see if we can find out who the real Kyle Shedeker is. Number one, what position do you have at the church? I am the ministry pastor. Number two, what position do you have at the church? I am the supreme leader. (laughs) Number three, what position do you have at the church? I'm the assistant youth pastor. Okay, wow, it's a diversity. Number one, in what church are you the ministry pastor and how long have you done that? Here at True North Church for the past eight years. Number two, in what church are you the ministry pastor and how long have you done that? Falls Southwood Baptist, two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks. Number three, in what church are you the ministry pastor and how long have you done that? 
about, I think it's Church's Chicken. Church's it's the church chicken. that always smells good. Oh, okay. For about 87 years now, so. 87 years. Go in the distance. At Church's Chicken. Mm-hmm. Wow. Number one, how do you spell your first name? Kyle. K-Y-L-E. Kyle. Number two, how do you spell your first name? Kyle. K-Y-L-I-E. Kyle. <laughs> Number three, how do you spell your first name? Name, N-A-M-E, name. All right, wow, okay, whoa. Well, there you have it. Uh, You've heard the answers, ladies and gentlemen. They're quite different. One thing is for sure, though, there's only one Kyle Shedeker. Well, the big moment is here. Will the real Kyle Shedeker please stand up? Stay out of trouble. So you're all Kyle Shedeker, the the ministry pastor at True North Church for the past eight years? Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the postmodern to tell the truth game show where Pontius Pilate's rhetorical question, what is truth, is answered. Truth is everything and truth is nothing. All at the same time, truth is absurd. Let's give our contestants a round of applause. Truth. I, I, I taught a world religions course years ago at a secular college. It was very interesting. And uh, I would introduce the course every time I taught it because I knew what would happen if I didn't. To e- explaining to these young people what is, the difference between what is true versus what is the nature of truth. Because I told them, if you don't get a handle on this, what is the nature of truth, your culture basically tells, them, tells you you're not allowed to believe and that our course is over before it even begins. I told them that uh, I was gonna introduce a little logic. I'd been teaching a, a, a philosophy course there as well and logic. And so I said, we're gonna use a little logic to try to kind of grab hold of this concept. First three laws of logic, matter of fact laws of logic that everyone knows. The first law of logic is the law of contradiction. Law of contradiction says this, it's impossible for both X and not X to be true. Now, let me put it in a math format. If one plus one equals two, then it's not true that one plus one does not equal two. I asked the class, do you accept this? To a man, right away, everyone was like, yeah, yeah, of course. 25, 30, 30 kids in there, 30 students in there. Everybody's saying yes in the math format. Somehow math is still seen to be objective and absolute truth. I'm not sure for how much longer they keep talking about the new math. And uh, who knows how long one plus one is going to be two. But, but they accepted it at that point. So I said, let me give you the same thing in a religion format. First law of logic, the law of contradiction. If Jesus is God, and I explained to them very carefully, I said, I'm not saying, we're not, we're not saying here that he is or that he's not. We're just saying if Jesus is God, then it's not true that Jesus is not God. Accept this? Everyone, pretty much immediately. No. No, we don't accept that. Postmodern Pontius Pilate says, not so. Jesus can be God and he cannot be God at the same time. Both can be true. This is the, I call it the I'm okay, you're okay, live and let live 
everyone's right, no one's wrong, answer to what is the nature of truth. Whatever you say is true, the postmodernist says, as opposed to whatever the definer defines is true. It's nothing and everything all at the same time. It's absurd. All right, so I gave them law number one, the uh, law of contradiction, in more of a public policy format. I said, okay, how about this? Sex outside of marriage is wrong. I explained to them very clearly again. I said, I'm not saying it is wrong. We're not saying it's, it's, it, 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 it's not wrong. We're just, saying, we're, we're just saying if sex outside of marriage is not wrong, or uh, if sex outside of marriage is wrong, then it is not true that sex outside of marriage is not wrong. Do you accept this? And again, right away, no. Sex outside of marriage is wrong, and it's not wrong at the same time, as both of those things can be true. It's only right or wrong for you. Everyone's right, and no one's wrong. That's illogical. It does not make sense. Law number two, the law of excluded middle. This is the law of excluded middle. Either X or not X must be true. Pretty matter of fact. Here's the math format. Either one plus one equals two or one plus one does not equal two. I said to the class, do you accept this? They said, yes. So let me give you the religion format, the law of excluded middle. Either Jesus is God or Jesus is not God. Do you accept this? No. No, you can make him actually be God while someone else can simultaneously actually make him stop being God. This is what they said. Truth is whatever you say it is. It's not whatever the definer defines it as. Since, now listen to this, pick this up. Since truth is undefinable. Now, there's absurdity to to this. There's illogical issues here, but this gets even worse. Let me say that again. Truth is undefinable. That's oxymoronic. That makes absolutely no sense at all. Definitionless definitions don't make sense. A lawless law does not make any sense. So I said to them, all right, let's look at a public policy format of the law of excluded middle. Either abortion is wrong or abortion is not wrong. Do you accept this? No. Not so. Abortion can either be wrong or it can be right. It's only right or wrong for you. Truth is relative. It's not absolute. Therein is the issue. Law number three. Now, this is the most matter of fact of the first three laws of logic. And I I, I thought maybe there's some hope here. Law number three, the principle of identity. If X, then X. It's just simply this. The math format would be if one plus one equals two, then one plus one equals two. I said, do you accept this? They started laughing. They're like, duh, of course. So I was like thinking to myself, duh. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Let me give you the religion format. The principle of identity. If Jesus is God, then Jesus is God. Do you accept this? They kind of stumbled a little bit, but then everybody, right about, pretty much right after that, no, no, that's not true. Jesus, if Jesus is God, then he's also not God. This is absurd. Public policy format on this principle of identity. I said, okay, let's do a public policy idea. 
If a person is a human being, then a person is a human being. I had some hope. I was like, do you accept this? No. 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 If a person's a human being, then a person's not a human being. It's nonsensical. It doesn't make any sense at all. Now, if we have an understanding of the nature of truth that is this way, how do you think we're going to then end up with regard to the questions about what is true? Postmodernism says something is true because you said it was true. In other words, this is pure postmodern thinking worldview, which is the overarching worldview in our culture today. When you say it, it becomes true because you experienced it. And so you're what you, you basically are a creator of truth through your experience. When you say it, it becomes true. This is a lie. This is a myth. I call it the myth of neutrality. And pretty much always what comes along with the myth of neutrality is what I call the hypocrisy of the myth of neutrality. Let me explain both. The myth of neutrality is rooted in the spirit of sameness. Sameness is, 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 the, is the whole philosophical underpinning of pantheism, of Eastern mysticism. The Hindu would call it moksha. The Hindu would say that what is really real, what is really true, what is really correct and right and good then is all. No parameters, no definitions, all. Same, sameness. That spirit of sameness has been seeping into our culture for the last 50, 60 years. And it has now grabbed hold of our culture through other issues of, of worldview like humanism and utilitarianism and hedonism that has, has kind of sparked this whole somewhat Western culture, unique to Western culture thing called postmodern thought. Truth is definitionless. It's whatever anybody says it is, and it's whatever everybody says it is. Now, let's take marriage, for example. Okay, marriage is something that is defined. That's why we actually can identify it with a word called marriage. Marriage got defined very early on. In fact, it was the very first thing that God created or instituted with regard to human relationships. Genesis chapter 2. Marriage gets defined. It has a definition. It says, and so the man shall leave his father and his mother and he shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. It's a union, a special union, an intimate union between one man and one woman. That's the definition of marriage. That's what it is. Postmodernism rejects this. Postmodernism requires the acceptance of all definitions of marriage. Well, if you have something called marriage and you have all definitions are what defines it, then you have no definition. The hypocrisy, it's a myth, the myth of neutrality. It doesn't really exist. And when you have the myth of neutrality, you almost always have coming alongside of it the hypocrisy of the myth of neutrality. The hypocrisy of the myth of neutrality goes something like this, and you've heard it, and you've been challenged by it, and people have lambasted you with it. It goes something like this. To be right, to be a good person, you have to agree that there's no one definition for truth. Truth is neutral. And by the way, 
That's the one different definition for truth that you have to accept or you are wrong. See, it's, 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 it's hypocritical. The other way to say it is people who hold to the myth of neutrality, it's theory. They don't really hold to it. They think they do, but it doesn't really exist. Now, what are some of the things that come out of this in our culture? PC. I've gotten more and more over PC. It used to really work me up. I hate PC. PC makes me get really weird. Like I get angry. PC, politically correct. PC is a societal expression of the rejection of absolute truth. That's what PC is. Now, we've come another step further in these last years. We've kind of gone beyond that. It's called cancel culture. Cancel culture is basically advancing PC to the next level, deifying neutrality. Let's give an example here, and I'll, I'll, right away I'll say up front, you know that thing they do on the news sometimes when you're like, oh gosh, should I turn the, the news off or what? They say, we must warn you, this contains graphic language. It's like, okay, so maybe some, I, we'll see. And I, disclaimer, forgive me ahead of time. But I'm gonna be blunt. I'm gonna be blunt because this stuff needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with bluntly. There is a postmodern couple, husband and wife, they're parents, let's say, and they espouse postmodernism. So for example, with regard to marriage, they're very, 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 uh, very uh, uh, on this whole thing of people can marry whoever they want. That's what it should be. And they feel they're good to say that. And they're right. People can marry whoever they want. Until myth of neutrality. People can marry as if there's, that's really possible. Or that as if you really would agree with that. Until, and the hypocrisy of the myth of neutrality comes in here. Until maybe their own son tells them that he wants to marry another man. Now, that's called homosexuality. It's, it's a definition. It's not like, some, well, we don't know what that is. It's a definition. It's not, though, inclusive of the definition of marriage. Now, they might be fine with that at this point because it's legal anyway now and all of that. And so they're like, well, okay. Whether they are or not, yes. But then what happens when their son, maybe their son comes to them and says, I want to marry two other men. Now they're talking about homosexuality and polygamy. Now, what if the son comes to them and says, I want to marry my grandfather and both of my grandmothers? Like I said, I warn you. <laughs> now, you say, well, you shouldn't talk about this. Well, we have to talk about this. Why? We have to talk about it because this is what people are saying, even if they don't want to admit that they're saying that. This is what we're saying. And guess what? 50 years ago, we're, we're a little bit more comfortable with, say, the first example I gave, homosexuality. 50 years ago, we wouldn't have been more comfortable with that. Okay, 50 years from now, I don't know what we're going to be comfortable with. So homosexuality, polygamy, homo, grandfather and both grandmothers, now we're talking about homosexuality and polygamy and incest. Those are definitions. They're all in the Bible, by the way. 
They're all defined in the Bible, but they're not inclusive of marriage. Now close your ears. I'm going to just say it. What if the son comes to them and says, I want to marry my dog and a horse? That's a definition. It's in the Bible. It's called bestiality. And it's actually rearing its ugly head in social media more and more from what I've heard people tell me about that. Say, come on. Uh, 50 years ago, I think you would have said, come on, to some things now. 50 years from now, I don't know what you're going to have to be saying come on to. If, if the couple that's postmodern that's saying you can marry whoever you want, that's the definition of marriage, anything. If they say any one of those options is not right, then they're contradicting themselves. And they're saying there's no definition of truth and they walk in the hypocrisy of the myth of neutrality. All right, let's apply this. What does this mean for you and I in our lives today, tomorrow, next week? What, what does this mean for us? I wanna give us a handful of understandings, things that I think out of this we need to understand that will help us then maybe be able to be challenged or encouraged in certain ways. Understanding number one, understand yourself and your propensity to be your own definer. Look, we all have to understand that we all are judges 21, 25 people. We all want to do what's right in our own eyes. I'm not saying we do or that we should. I'm just saying we all do. Even those of us that are saved today in here, we know the Lord. We are rebirthed. We have a new spirit. We have an awakened spirit. We still have a fallen nature in us. And we want to be our own definers. We have to understand that if we're going to conquer it. It's a constant battle. Romans 7.15 says, I do the things I don't want to do and the things I want to do, I don't do. Another way to say that is I insist on being my own definer and tell God he's not the definer, even though I know he is and I want him to be. I don't have to be my own dictionary to be a good person. That's what your culture tells you. It makes you feel bad if you say anything different. It makes you feel like you're not a good person. Look, you don't have to be your own dictionary to be a good person. Calling out to all called out ones, that's what I wanna do with a couple of these understandings. The called out ones, the church, I'm talking to you, church, you're the ecclesia, the called out ones. Calling out to all called out ones, here's what I wanna call out to you, encourage you, challenge you. It's okay to look to the Bible for all of your definitions. It's okay. And you say, well, why do you feel like you have to say that? Because your culture is bombarding you with the opposite all the time. Second understanding, understand your tendency to be a product of your own culture. We have to admit, we're all products of our own culture to some degree at some times. That's, that's not the issue. The issue is how do we stay away from that? How do we conquer that? The culture is gonna tell you all the time that truth is relative. It's gonna say it depends. The real question there is it depends on what? And the real answer is it depends on what is best for me. It's called utilitarianism. The end justifies the means. If I get a good result, then however I get there is fine, is good. That's what good is. That's what truth is, is getting the result. Self-definers say, if it feels good, do it. Whatever works out best for you, that's what's right. That is being said to us all the time. I call out to all the called out ones. It's okay to confess that man is not the measure of all things, but God is. Third understanding, understand the culture of the ever-increasing rejection of authority. I'll be honest with you, this is one of the ones I'm most concerned about. I see it rising up 
incredibly in our society. It's a logical outworking of postmodernism. Understand that. The rejection of authority is a logical outworking of postmodernism. If everyone's right, if everybody can do anything that's right, well, where is there going to be law? There's not going to be law. Everyone does whatever they want to do. Anarchy is the ultimate end of this, and it's a little concerning where we seem to be heading sometimes. That's all right. God has it under control. He knows what's going on. But we need to understand the culture of ever-increasing rejection of authority. Relative truth requires that authority be rejected. Relativity, by nature, is permissive. Thus, society frowns on the expression of authority. You ever have a conversation with somebody and feel that way? Like somebody was frowning on you because you're acting like you're authoritative? Neutrality, neutrality says you're wrong if you speak authoritatively. Now, I'm, not, I'm not talking about being uncivil. I'm not talking about being arrogant. I'm not talking about being a jerk with people. I'm talking about being someone of conviction, calling out to all called out ones. It's okay to be authoritative in your God-given sphere of authority. It's okay. Years ago, I got so worked up about this concept with regard to family. I wrote a book called There Will Be No Mutiny on the Ship. It was a book on parenting. And it constantly throughout the book had this kind of terminology. It's okay Constantly said over and over. It's okay, parents, to take your authoritative role. You see, postmodernism has bashed parenting for decades and decades because postmodernism says you, you, you should not insist on your own belief to someone. You should not, therefore, train or instruct or correct or discipline. Did you hear those things? You should not parent how are you going to parent if you don't train, instruct, teach, discipline? <laughs> but parents have to hear this. It's okay, parents. Parents out here right now. Look, the lie to you is this, and it's a lie. The lie is if you're going to be a good parent, let your children go. That's hogwash. Let your children go. Look, the scripture actually, you know, don't discipline your children. Let them go. The, the scripture actually says the opposite, doesn't it? It says that if you do not discipline your children, you hate them. You don't love them. You hate them. It's okay, parents. It's okay. <laughs> your society's telling you it's not, but it's okay to, to take up your authoritative role. Another understanding, understand the culture of the ever-increasing rejection of responsibility. Look, authority is going to come along with responsibility. Both are going to be rejected by postmodernism. Both are going to be rejected by the myth of neutrality. The myth of neutrality gives people the easy way out. And it's me too. The myth of neutrality, I sometimes want to take it because it gives me the easy way out. A neutral position, for example, on abortion, as if there could be something like that a neutral position on abortion. A neutral position on abortion leaves you with no responsibility. You don't have to do anything or you can do whatever you want. Choice is what this gets cloaked under. Understand this about choice. Choice is very important in society and in humanity. It's, 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 it's tantamount to the whole idea of man's free will. It's very important, but it's not morality. Choice is not morality. Choice is what, is, what, is what you decide 
that is moral. Choice does not make something right or wrong. What you choose is what is right or wrong. If choice is morality, then you're only responsible for having choice. Actual responsibility for the choice you make hides behind the curtain of the myth of neutrality. To accept truth as having definition is to accept responsibility. Revelation 3.16 says, that Jesus says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. Basically, what he's saying there is, I'd rather you be this definition or that definition, but not no definition. Matthew 12.30, Jesus says this. He says, he who is with me, he who is not with me is against me. There's no neutrality there. If truth is neutral, then there is no decision. And if there is no decision, then there's no responsibility. Calling out to all called out ones. It's okay, it's okay, it is okay to refuse the easy way out and instead to take responsibility. Understand the lie of amorality it's ensuing, and it's ensuing peer pressure, a lot of peer pressure. One of the things I think I wanna to say to us here is let's admit and understand that there's a lot of peer pressure. This is what, what I mean by, this is what society is bringing. Okay, we gotta deal with that, we gotta be ready for that. Amorality has, brings a lot of peer pressure. Amorality, moral, Good, right, bad, wrong, moral, A, negates it. It's not immorality. It would be so much easier if we just lived in a culture of immorality. We don't. We live in a culture of amorality. There is no good, bad, right, wrong that you can define. A good person has to say that nothing in particular is right because everything's right. A bad person is one who defines truth it's a person of conviction. And there's peer pressure all the time to reject conviction. Don't fall to peer pressure. Don't be an idiot. Don't be a jerk. Don't be arrogant. Don't be uncivil. Don't be unloving. But don't fall to peer pressure. Calling out to all called out ones. It's okay to be a person of conviction. It's okay. It's okay to believe something. I'm gonna end with this understanding, the bottom line. I'm gonna say this is the bottom line. Understand the bottom line. What's the bottom line? The bottom line always is, at the end of the day, what are you going to do with Jesus? Pilate even said this in Matthew 27. He said, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? There's no neutral blank in that question. There's no what to do, what are you gonna do with blank, fill it in however you want to, as if that's the way God did it. No, God has defined truth by specifically putting Jesus in that blank. So then the question is, who is Jesus? What's the definition of Jesus? And his name literally means exactly who he is. It means God saves. That's what the essence of truth is. The essence of truth is that God is God and I'm not. The essence of truth is that God has to save me because I can't save myself. The nature of truth is not lawlessness, it's not neutrality, it's not definitionless definitions, lawless laws. In fact, scripture says in 1 John 3, 4, sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 says, the antichrist, the antichrist is the man of lawlessness. 1 John 4, 3 says, lawlessness is already at work among us and the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. 
Second John 7 says this, and these are in many ways the most concerning words. Because this stuff isn't, doesn't happen by, in a sense, overpowering you, putting you in jail, taking you over. It happens through deception. The power of the Antichrist, 2 John 7 says, is deception. Deception. Deception comes, yes, with the corruption of truth, what is true, but it comes more fundamentally by the corruption of the nature of truth. Antichrist, anti, it can mean, in, in Greek, it can either mean, it can either mean against or it can mean instead of, either against Christ or instead of Christ. Lawlessness is against God being the definer. That's very deceptive. Lawlessness is instead of God being the definer. I think that's even more deceptive. Who is God? God is Yahweh. Most personal name, fundamental nature of God is this name he gave to Moses, Yahweh. What does Yahweh mean? It just means this. It means I am. Who is God most fundamentally? God is. God is real. He is real. Muammar Gaddafi, in 2011, he got really mad at England, something that was going on. He commanded all the map makers in Libya to take England off the maps. So England disappeared into the North Sea on all maps that existed in Libya. (laughs) But simply because we reject truth does not mean that it goes away. It doesn't mean that something just covers it up. When truth is no longer on the maps of our lives, it's no less there. When you sail on the open seas and run aground on the landmass that you insisted was not really there, it doesn't matter then that your map showed no such definition. You have wrecked regardless. God is real and reality always wins the day. Abraham Lincoln He once asked a friend, how many legs would a sheep have if it called its tail a leg? And the friend said, well, five. No, said Lincoln, it would not. It would only have four. Simply calling a tail a leg doesn't make it so. Rejecting definition no more makes for a five-legged sheep (laughs) than saying that a dead man can climb a hill makes for no need for Jesus to come down from heaven to save that dead man by carrying him up that hill himself. The answer to the question, how do I get saved, is not any answer that you want it to be. It's not, well, I can be a better person. Maybe I'll go to church more. Maybe I'll give more money. There is a definition of how to get saved. There's a definition of who the Savior is. In each case, it's a divine being. His name is Jesus. And Jesus means God saves. That is the definition of how to get saved. If you're here this morning and you have never made that decision, maybe you've actually felt the pressures of society telling you that what maybe one, maybe you you don't need to make that decision. Number two, you shouldn't make that decision. Number three, there really is no decision. Maybe you've been listening to me this morning and you've been kind of relating that to where you're at right now with regard to God himself. And maybe God himself is moving in you and working in you right now. And he is saying, I am Jesus. I am God saves. I am your God. You don't have to be your own God. I am your boss. You are not your own boss. I will save you. I can save you. I have saved you. I've paid the price. I've done the work. You can't do the work. You can't pay the price. 
If that's you here this morning, I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. And others can pray uh, along as well to lead as I'm going to just lead uh, people in a prayer. If that's you, you're here this morning and you hear these words from Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's the boss, that he's God, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he had the victory. You couldn't get the victory yourself. He was the one who conquered death and conquered your sin. You couldn't do it yourself. If you resonate with that this morning, Romans 10, 9, and you want to make that decision and make that confession. And remember, when we say confess with your mouth, it just doesn't mean you just just say the words. It's not like a magic formula or something. It means that you have reckoned with those issues and you have decided in your very being, in your heart, this is what I decide to do. I decide to give my life to Jesus Christ. If that's what you want to do this morning, I want to, want to if you would let me, I, would, I want to lead you in that. Others can lead as well as we pray. But if that's you this morning, just, just repeat after me these words. If that's what you're confessing in your heart, let's pray. Almighty God, you are God. I am not. I make you my boss and I stop being my own boss. I receive your victory and I stop trying to make my own way. I receive your salvation and I stop trying to save myself. Thank you, Lord, for giving me this. I receive it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Well, hey, church, come on, stand to your feet with me as we get ready to go. Hey, listen, if you said yes to Jesus, it's by far the greatest decision you ever made in your life. And we want to bless you as you exit today out of this room. You'll see a banner that says, I made a decision for Jesus. And you'll, you'll see people underneath there holding this Bible. Stop and talk to them. We'd love to bless you with that. If you've been joining us online, make sure you reach out to someone. We'd love to bless you with this gift as well. But Hey, listen, before you run off and before you take off, um, when I asked Dr. John to preach on truth, I did so knowing his intentions and his approach. I've heard him teach on that multiple times. And some of you are like, oh man, I, I wanted to really be inspired today. Well, today was an equipping day. It's an equipping day so that you can be inspiring to someone throughout this week. <laughs> and sometimes when you show up to the gym to work out, you're like, man, I wish it was arm day. You're like, no, it's not arm day today. It's like, but I don't know what type of family we would be if we only equipped you with the things that made you feel good. And I find it fascinating. Isn't it interesting that when you talk about topics like that, you kind of go like, ah, why? Well, where is that from? It's that unsettled pressure of society that you don't think is being absorbed into you, but it is. And I just want us to make sure more than anything else, listen to me. And Dr. John said this multiple times, that we can be people of conviction. Do you know what that is? It can't be bought. It can't be persuaded. And I just love it when the Apostle Paul says things like this, I am fully persuaded. You know, he said, I'm convinced. 
that neither height nor depth, nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's a man who has a conviction. And man, church, I pray that, that, that that's in your heart, that we're people of conviction. Will you stretch your hands to heaven? Let me pray for you today. Father, I thank you for your word, that it navigates us in a chaotic and a crazy world. Father, help us hold your word to our heart. Help us be people of conviction. Help us walk in your ways. May we count the cost to honor you. And may you search our heart, O oh God. And may you find things that are displeasing. May you confront us, Holy Spirit. May you navigate us, refine us. May we reflect you in, in a better way each and every day that we live. Father, go with us as we go today. Father, I, I pray for a blessing in our gathering tonight for 1829. God, that may you move in a powerful way. Father, I thank you for those who serve, those who are in crews, and all that you're doing in and through the life of this house. Continue to bless this house. Continue to navigate us in this season. In your precious and holy name, we pray, a faithful church said, amen. Amen. God bless, guys.